0: Welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if there are some duds along the way. Combining questions, trivia and games, every episode we're challenged to watch a piece of film history to decide whether it deserves to be remembered for all time in our movie vault. With every film chosen in our previous episode, it's the perfect way to watch and discuss along at home. But don't just take my word for it. Here's a snippet of what to expect in today's episode that was quite scary in 2022 and they're like you mean that our phones can hear all our conversations and listen to us and i'm like oh god you know like when it listens to our you
1: know like advertising and stuff i was like the dark knight saw it coming i mean given the story i told you before we started recording yeah. i'm kind of used to that as a concept of yeah. we can be listened on, listened in on any given moment true true so are you saying your mum is batman i, I s- <laughs> swear to god all
2: right mr Demille, i'm ready for my close-up are you not entertained oh. And beyond, you're only supposed to blow the bloody doors off.
1: Well good movies.
0: Hello and welcome to Well Good Movies, the podcast that gives you the movies well worth watching, even if they are some duds along the way. I'm Batman. I, sorry, I mean I'm your host, David Oscar, and I'm joined by my very
1: own freak like me, Craig McDonald. Hello, Craig. You expect me to follow up in a in a nice way after that? I was expecting some form of nemesis Joker comment, and it I was, was pro- it was it was
0: the, first of all freak. Like, what? <laughs> he says the line. That's that's the Joker's line. Uh, Heath sledges, Yeah, like... I
1: thought it was going to be more direct as opposed <laughs> to like...
0: <laughs> I just couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. I swear to God, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, um as we alluded to there, Craig, uh, we talk about movies well worth watching, spite duds along the way. So, just to tease the audience at home, do you think today's movie is a dud or well worth watching?
1: Well, this film is one of the few films we have actually reviewed that has an Oscar to its name, with the performance of Heath Ledger. And this is also one of the few films that I have willingly bought on DVD. So, I think it it speaks volumes for itself of where i'm going. Also, this film is already in the movie vault. I think that says a lot about our position on this film. Yeah.
0: Well, um we'll soon get on to, you know, our full opinions of it and uh, our full discussion. Uh, but for anyone who didn't catch our previous episode, or just wants a kind of recap, uh, can you talk us through how we came to talk about this film and uh, what happened at the end of the
1: last episode? Yeah, so last time I checked, you got your ass kicked in the end game. <laughs> That's nothing new. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you did bad. Like, like it wasn't a strong game for either of you, but you,
0: you. It was a car crash. That could have been an apprentice style. That could have been like, what happens when both people have zero points and both lose? (laughs) What does Craig do then?
1: Oh, I I just would have chosen the film. But yeah, it was a car crash for you, which is ironic because it was an end game all about lines about cars. But in the end, Luke, uh, our last guest, was the winner. And he chose The Dark Knight because obviously we were talking about The Italian Job, a film very famous for Michael Caine. So he chose a more modern film. Not necessarily famous for Michael Caine, but has Michael Caine as a presence throughout its entirety, as well as cars. There are some really powerful cars in this film. Like, there's a famous scene where Laurie gets screwed over. It's good fun. Yeah, but he chose The Dark Knight, and that's where we are today. Awesome.
0: So, yeah, we'll be discussing uh, The Dark Knight Uh, later on obviously as well quite nicely timed with the release of the batman Uh, as we sort of alluded to as well the dark knight is already in the movie vault Um, so today we'll be sort of discussing in the sense of like you know why is it in the movie vault why does it deserve to have its place there as last time we discussed it it was based on joker Um, so it'll be interesting sort of talking about the film more in depth as we only sort of touched on it last time Uh, but to sort of go through it uh, with us today, uh, we have two guests. Uh, one of them is their first time joining us on, well, Good Movies, so we're very happy uh, to have them on with us today. So please do welcome film critic and production manager, Kelechi Anulo. Hello, Kelechi.
3: Hello. I mean, that was a great intro, guys. Thank you very much for having me, <laughs> <laughs> having
0: me on. <laughs> no problem at all. We keep having that, like last episode, but it was because we talked about a weird like catch up with Craig after his debating competition. So yeah, I'm glad, glad we can give the entertainment to the guests before we start as well.
3: Yeah, thank you very much for having me on. This is amazing. So yeah, ready to talk the Dark Knight. Let's go.
0: Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, we got you know, the right person in the sense that, you know, you were one of the lucky people to see. The Batman as well, when it uh, was, you know, screening and premiering in uh, London. Uh, we'll sort of get on to that later. But uh, yeah, can you just tell us about yourself? What is it you do? What is uh, your work? Uh, out there at the moment?
3: Yeah, so I'm, my day job basically is a production manager. I work at a uh, indie production company called Renaissance Studios, which are based in South London. And as a production manager, if anybody wants to know what what it involves, it's basically handling, you know, logistics and operations. You are basically working with your production team, you like your directors, your producers, your dops and just basically just making sure that your safe your set is safe and operational and you know secure and you know everybody has a good time because working on a production can be fun. So at the time of this recording we're you know very 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 busy we're days away from shooting a commission for Channel 4. So we're bringing a brand new dating show to Channel 4. A um, lot of excitement behind the scenes, um, a lot of anticipation, a lot of, a lot of bit of nerves, but at the same time, like, we can't wait to start. So we're just, like, rearing to go and see see where that journey takes us. Uh, so that's my day job. Um, at night, um, I'm Batman. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I wish. Um, but um, I work as a freelance film critic. Um, I write for, I started off writing off on my blog, which is Confessions from a Geek Mind been doing that for about over five years and then basically decided to take it a little bit more seriously because I started as a hobby Um, and so I just got some like really good feedback from people on you know for film twitter who basically said like you know your writing is awesome we'd love to see it in more places so I ended up writing for uh, film stories and jump cut online and set the tape so yeah if you're around guys check it out.
2: Yeah,
0: go check it out. Definitely. Like I said, it's uh, loads of cool stuff uh, on your blog and those magazines, websites, you know, which do give a lot of great opportunities for fresh new voices and bring up a lot of like great topics. and, And especially when like reviewing films and stuff like that, you know, it feels something you know quite different rather than the kind of usual stuff that you see in a lot of places quite ambitious for channel 4 to have a new dating show when they've got probably one of the biggest dating shows so i bet the pressures aren't even more in that aspect for that production
3: it's it's a different concept so that's all i'm gonna say but um stay, stay tuned so they they're excited for it we're excited for it
1: to be fair if there is one channel that i think dating show i do think channel 4 because they have a number of different concept shows right
0: yeah, I do appreciate the
1: courage of them to be like, yeah,
0: we're going to put on first dates, then straight after that, naked attraction. You're like, oh, well, <laughs> this is quite different. So, yeah, fair play to them. But uh, you mentioned they also your blog, Confessions of a Geek, etc., so, which is always great. We love to have movie geeks on, on the podcast. So uh, just to get to know you more as a film fan, you know what, what are some of your favorite genres and, and movies?
3: Um, I'm, I mean, I'm, I love all genres, you know, as, as much as I, you know, I'm a geeky by nature kind of person, but the one genre that I do gravitate towards is science fiction. Um, I love how it's very experimental in a sense, like, and it has a very wide spectrum. Like, you know, you can have your fun, you know, escapist type of fantasy, you know, um, sci-fi adventures, like, you know, your star Wars, or your Guardians of the Galaxy, and then on the other end of the spectrum, you have you know you know your existential crisis, philosophical, makes you question what the world is <laughs> and how 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 crappy it is, or how close to reality it is. And you think of like films like 2001: Space Odyssey or Interstellar, um, even something even like something like Dune. Like so, I'm always gravitated by just big epic scale um, cinema, and the one film that definitely changed my mind or geared me towards that was ridley scott's blade runner i saw that as a kid didn't necessarily always understood it when i was a kid but i was hooked on the visuals alone and that made me more curious to delve deep into that lore and how science fiction is so expansive in that way it just taught me to be curious and just kind of think you know analytically so i hold a a huge debt to what the genre does and how it influenced my writing because I love to think deeply about things.
0: Yeah, I love the idea as well of like films or open opening people up to be curious. That That's a really like nice concept as well of just sort of like questioning more within the world rather than just being like, oh, this made me realize that I like this or I like that. Um, but, it you know, film can also be a, a gateway to sort of like, be like, oh, I've never known about this or like maybe I should be like more open-minded about certain things or, you know, uh, sort of, yeah, just experience the world in in, in different ways or so put different perspectives on the way they read situations etc and yeah I think that's one thing I love about science fiction and it can also happen with like animation as well is that idea of like you can bring big important topics and things that are going on in the world but put it through like a different lens so that you can be like oh all of this is like an analogy for this other thing but you know it depends on whether people want to read it that way if it's something like Star Wars it's like hey you've still got your fun lightsaber jumping around kind of action but You know, at the same time, there could be some quite serious political messages underneath it as well. But yeah, that's definitely the case with a a film like Blade Runner. Um, So, yeah, we look forward to uh, discussing The Dark Knight with you, uh, Kelechi. As we mentioned at the top there as well, uh, you have seen The Batman. Just quickly, very quickly, your thoughts on The Batman, just because I think it might be important for today's conversation in terms of maybe how, how you feel going into The Dark Knight.
3: Um. I rank it highly. I I gave it for four and a half stars. Um, not, no pressure, guys. If you haven't seen it, <laughs> um, but it is. It's a very different um, interpretation of Batman. It's if you think of very loosely how maybe light a little bit light how dark, the Dark Knight is with, with Nolan. Um, not to say it's not dark or anything like that, but it's. But you go and watch Matt Reeves's version, and it's it makes Gotham a lot more seedier, a little bit more corruptible, a little bit more, like, almost, in in a sense, Blade Runner, very rain-drenched. No one is innocent, including Bruce Wayne. And it makes it much more... I think there's, there's something there that I think ties in neatly in how you see Batman and why someone would transform themselves into that Kate Crusader and fighting for, you know, for justice, or in this case vengeance which is robert patterson basically using every criminal that he sees on the street and bet- and thinking that every person he sees is basically the person who murdered bruce wayne's parents so that in itself is is quite interesting it is free it's three hours long so it's a bit of a you know sit on sit on bump you know, bomb seats, don't drink too much but there is some really good world building in there that i think opens the door for what what will happen in the next one fingers crossed but it's it's kind of inevitable but i think there's a start of something really really special with that but it is only the first chapter whereas you know the dark knight is the middle chapter of an excellent trilogy so i think it will the, the batman will take a bit of time to kind of seed into the into the cultural zeitgeist until we see the second one which is inevitable and then we'll know where it is in terms of how we measure it as the all-time greats but i rank it as my fourth favorite batman film
0: oh okay yeah so i think yeah it's quite and it is quite similar to something like uh batman begins as well like you said in similar of it you know it's starting a trilogy etc so yeah i'll definitely be interesting to see how things have changed as well since the dark knight like now how now that approaches like different characters or like the you know how it's maybe certain messages or different layers to it um will be an interesting sort of comparison to sort of look on especially after some of us have seen uh, the batman uh but yeah all fun stuff that we'll be covering today uh next up we have a returning guest but crazily enough this is the first time they're actually discussing a film on this podcast but yet they've joined us three times joining us now is our good friend and writer paul hunt hello paul hello hello how are you doing we're doing good. <laughs> you looked uh, almost as scared as uh, one of Batman's enemies there <laughs> when when the mic wasn't there.
2: It, it was the fear of not being able to find the mute button, even though it was right in front of me. Uh,
0: that that's actually it's kind of like Scarecrow and everything, isn't it? That's going to be a future villain. It's just like the mute button. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Paul, it's uh, it's been a while, but uh, yeah, how crazy is it that uh, you've never specifically discussed a film on this podcast, despite joining us? Uh, for endgame yeah. specials and also like a crazy kind of working title film episode.
2: Yeah, I feel like I'm I, I've been like the quiz man until now. So yeah, I'm looking forward to being able to talk about. Um films and not sort of panic that I don't know enough about the questions you're asking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
0: exactly. Uh, So, and yeah, because it's been a while since we've uh, had a chance to catch up with you and obviously because you are a writer, then I guess, you know, you love to check out sort of television films, see, you know, what is providing that great examples of writing so uh, what are some of your favorite watches of the past 12 months or, or what are you watching at the moment what are you looking forward to watching
2: i've not seen the batman yet i'm really looking forward to it some of the things i've seen in the last 12 months i really liked uh, sort of like american independent you know oscar bait kind of things where um like coda um that film about a hearing woman who whose family is deaf and she's a really amazing singer and her her arguments I suppose with her family to for them to see that her she has some talent in it and wanted to escape a small town and there's uh, never really sometimes always I always get the title of that wrong and that's a drama about um, two teenage girls one of them is discovers she's pregnant and she they decide to go to New York so that she can have an abortion and that was really it was really well handled I liked how it was not Um, melodramatic it was just sort of very realistic and then a couple of weeks ago I saw Jackass Forever quite different (laughs) yes and and I saw it with one of my oldest friends and it was just really nice because you know Jackass Forever they're all you know they're 20 years older they're all sort of it was quite bittersweet in a way because you know um two of the two of the cast members were were in the film um obviously Ryan Dunn passed away and then Bamagera just wasn't wasn't in it but yeah it was it was strange to see it with a friend I'd seen the first three with various stages of our life so even though it was a lot of um penises being crushed by things it was um it was quite nostalgic um experience and then on tv i've been watching uh, i've been enjoying this is going to hurt the adam k medical drama but i think the thing that always gets me is people are really talking about how it's um quite innovative in terms of its tone and and comedy but actually to me it's just er it's just that in britain our medical dramas are very po-faced, and it's nice to see British drama bring that kind of American feeling to stuff. So yeah, I, people who g- going on about this is going to hurt being like really great. I'm like yeah, it is, but it's it's ER basically in tone. So um, yeah, that's what I've been up to recently.
0: I love the idea of, like, an American coming over here and being like, what, what's your version of ER? I'd be like, um, casualty? And then watching it and just be like, this is not <laughs> the same at all. They're, they're very much like soap operas, which, like, even the concept, I think Holby City's ended now, isn't it? But they're like, oh, they're in the same hospital. They're like, only we could come up with this. And, you know,
2: America's just a more dysfunctional society. You're going to have guns. It's just generally more dramatic for that kind of medical thing. But um, there was an episode of um, Screen Wipe, USA I think and Charlie Brooker got a, an audience full of Americans together to show them the bill <laughs> and they, they were they were falling over themselves because obviously it's just British coppers walking down a street saying please <laughs> please sir you know, there's no guns there's a baton perhaps but that's about it it's as extreme as it gets
0: Yeah, well, that brings us on to then our question of the week as it's linked to superheroes. Uh, So this is the chance for us to dive into some of our thoughts on the world of movies and find out a bit more about our guests. Uh, So our question of the week is, with representation at such a turning point on screen, why is it more important than ever to support the films that champion it, especially within the hoop, uh, hoop, within the superhero space? Uh, and that could be on and off screen. So, Kalechi, I know this is you know a big talking point for yourself. This is a part of your writing, um, something you're very passionate about. So, you know, what what are your thoughts on this question?
3: I, I think the best way to answer that question is for me to just channel inward and kind of tell you the, a bit of my personal journey. When I was a kid growing up, I loved Star Wars, and you know, I. When you see something that you love, you want to, you know, emulate it. You want to, you feel empowered by. It. You want to be, be part of it. So, me loving Star Wars, I wanted to fight with the Rebel Alliance. I wanted to join, you know, fight alongside Luke Skywalker. I wanted, to, I wanted to have like the bravery of Princess Leia, the cockiness of Han Solo, and Luke's Jedi mind powers and stuff like that. Like even when I used to go to like the supermarket and the doors used to open, I used to pretend that like I had the mm. Force, <laughs> like I can control the doors. Um, but you get to a a certain point you know as you get older where you realize that you are as me as a black and female um um, film critic but as a kid you you start to realize that you are kind of sacrificing a part of your identity and your personality um and shaping it and molding it around characters and personalities that don't look like you and when you have that it's it's almost like a part of you is your story or your life experience is not lived through those characters, so you can only empathize with a certain level of it. But then it just stops because it's like, yeah, I I, I get it, but it's it. You, there's no certain nuances that, for me as a black African of Nigerian descent you know, there's nothing there that I would kind of grasp onto. So for a long, long time, you can easily feel isolated. You can feel alone, like you you don't have your your sense of tribe. Like, I go back to my science fiction and my love of science fiction, for example. You know, most of those stories are about, you know, heroes or, you know, the one or whatever, but they're all finding their people, their tribe, in in these grand stories. So in a sense, I didn't necessarily find that. And what happens is that... Because of that, the stories that are, are told when you do see someone that is finally representing you, because they're told from a different perspective from yours, you end up getting characters who are, end up being stereotypes or tropes, and that does much more harm in terms of your story, and people will start generalising and labelling what's, you know, thinking or assuming that this is your life or whatever When it's real, when in reality particularly for black culture, blackness is not a monolith. There's, you know, we are celebrated nuance of characteristics, personalities, and different cultures, backgrounds, dialects, and everything. So for me, representation is important because it is the, it's the power of living your authentic self, you know, and you know, living, believing. Uh, one of my favorite quotes, I have to give credit to my boss because she says it all the time at work. It's about believing in your own source. And when you feel like you see yourself, you believe in the possibilities. When you surround yourself with people who think like you see, like you identify with you, it becomes like this is becomes tangible, becomes real. And then you start to craft stories. You start to craft spaces. And that's where your the agency and the empowerment comes out of it and you end up recognizing your own value and what you bring to the table. So the best example I have, um, bringing it back to the superhero genre, is Black Panther. In 2018, I mean, that was like an incredible year of film. Like, you know, it was almost like a black renaissance in a sense, um, when you had like Get Out, um, Hidden Figures, Black clansmen and so forth, but Black Panther in particular. Um, that was just a cultural event. I mean, you saw how people reacted. Um, You know, people bought tickets for their friends, their family, their schools, and you saw the joy and the youth and, you know, the absolute um, pride of seeing that African culture represented in a big, massive Marvel film. film. Like, people wore their, their African attires. Like it felt like I was, you know, I was at a community party. Like that—that's how special it was. And it goes down deeper when you, th- when I think about—I think his name is Winston Duke, who plays Mbaku. He's playing a Nigerian Igbo man. I'm Igbo descent, and hearing him doing the dialects and and feeling that because I remember sitting in a cinema with my brothers, and my inner, like my inner Nigerian came out of me. Like you know, like aha. Hey, he's he's speaking my language, though. He's like you know, and it felt so good. It like the, there's a special feeling that comes with that, and that you can't. There's you, there's no greater feeling than that. And whilst there is still a long way to go, um, there's more work that needs to be done behind the scenes because if we are talking about the shifts and the changes, you have to also give power to the people behind the scenes to actually write the stories for the culture, by the culture, and tell those stories that represent us. But the most important thing is that it is getting audiences to see a different perspective and seeing what that culture is like. We've had over, you know, 100 years of cinema where it has been dedicated to, you know, white protagonists and being the heroes. I feel like in this day and age right now where I think there's much more greater awareness, greater demand, I think people want to see well, what does an Asian superhero looks like? What does, you know, we're going to get Black Panther 2, but what other black superheroes can we get in the, in that space? And that helps to see how we receive the world because we see we live in a diverse world. So it's only right that our cinema reflects a diverse world.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what's great as well about the evolution we're seeing with Marvel, something like Falcon and Winter Soldier, which again, he used that as a part of its storyline but again, goes in this very natural progression of being like, you know, the next, if they do have a, you know, a new Avengers lineup or something, you know, they're doing it very much in a way that's so sort of conscious of the change that's happening within it because they're sort of telling that story in a TV show itself that Sam is actually like, oh, I'm actually scared of the pressure that is, is on me. But then, you know, him becoming Captain America, you know, it's just that he is Captain America. He doesn't have to be defined by you know any other factors as well so it's great that that can so sort of work in two senses and and that's what makes me think of like a film like Eternals because even though that's not a perfect film a lot of people had criticisms of being like oh well you know are they just saw sort of check in boxes of just having all these different characters of different sexualities different backgrounds etc and when I thought about it I was like well if this is a film about you know the first superheroes the people who came to earth at the beginning of time or whatever you want to call it at the beginning of humanity then of course they would represent like all different parts of humanity that just makes sense that they would kind of be you know in very that film very much does say that like they've inspired this they've done that so it would make sense that they they're a template for that the one of the characters would have a disability because then that that's something that's happened to them because of their powers etc and that certain characters would come across uh, other humans etc fall in love and, and have different experiences because they've been there for you know thousands of years etc so and i think why it's kind of relevant at the moment is it kind of ties in with something like batman i think where some people were saying about like catwoman which is ridiculous because you know you look at something like even the adam west show uh which is a kit which played uh catwoman in that series as well so it's like well this has been an established thing in the past zoe kravitz is i think a fantastic Catwoman, and also uh jeffrey wright within that film it's just like you just see him and you're like that's commissioner gordon it you know it doesn't matter you know who they are the color of the sin he represents that character so fantastically because they just encapsulate the character so well just through like their acting ability as well so it's bringing in in such a a natural way i think and You know, there's that conversation going on with Turning Red, which I'm sure, uh, you know, both of you might have seen, Paul and uh, Kletchy, because you're both so active on Twitter. And one of the great comments I saw was somebody saying, similar to what you were saying, Kletchy, of being like, people are complaining that they can't relate to this film. It's like, well, you know how, you know, they felt for years and years and years. It's just like people have had to have been forced to find, uh, to relate to characters that weren't representative of them, so why can't you do the same? You know, like why can't you know? I'm not a woman, but yet I've you know watched films which be like, oh, I can relate to that. You know, so it's just a change in you know this. These films are doing things which are the right thing to sort of like force a change out of people to say you you have to now learn to to relate to this character. You you've not. You're not used to it because you've been used to this way for such a long time. But what they see as like a negative and a bad thing about the film is actually just that they just have to change their ways.
3: Oh, I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's about normalizing these experiences. Um, we've had stories told a certain way, and that's come through, you know, def- different, you know, institutions, different structures, and they've all reinforced the same messages, but it is about trying to break down those those barriers because it's about you know i'm a black film critic you know most of the spaces that i do go to i'm lucky and privileged to be in those spaces sometimes i end up being the only black person that's represented there and i keep saying to myself that can't be the the reason that can't i can't be this, the only one and you end up feeling like there is a pressure because you're basically having on your shoulders telling you know, the story of of a film that you were lucky to get into, when in reality, you are one of many thousands of black female critics, black critics in general. You know, if you're going down the POC scale, thousands of them, they all exist. So it's only right that they are, if I get those opportunities that those doors are open for those to, to come in because it's not just about me it's about the next generation because we're not here on this earth <laughs> for, the, for, the, for that long but at the same time you know it's about how do we get the next voices the next talent the next people who going to come in and take, the, and take those spaces so it's about encouraging the youth it's about the next generation and you know, I feel like at times when people kind of start complaining, they start using like, oh, it's all woke, it's tick boxing and all that kind of stuff. And it feels like when it was originally used, it had a substance and a meaning. And now we've kind of grinded down, well, people on the internet have kind of grounded down the word to the, to the point where it's just complete nonsense and it becomes almost like hot air. And that's kind of been the hard or difficulty of trying to talk about representation without You know, we need people to actually like to stop and listen and actually just kind of listen from, hear from the people who have those knowledges and those experiences and can actually incite and also influence the culture. Because if we, you know, if we are all doing, if we're all doing the same or we're trying to shut it down, then we just keep repeating the same mistakes.
0: Yeah, and I think from a writing point of view, um, I'm not sure if you've heard uh, this sort of like comparison before, um, or like interview, um, Paul, but George R. R. Martin, who obviously writes Game of Thrones, uh, I think he was in an interview before and they were just like, Why are you so good at writing female characters? and he was just like, I just try to write good characters, he's just like, I don't see it that way that you have to specifically be like, Oh, I'm gonna write a good female character, etc. It's just so you know what do you think from like you know especially a writing perspective as well of like you know that idea that you know it is whether it's in the minds of like writers you know it's sometimes it's up to casting people or uh whether there's then deliberate efforts as well when it's you're telling a certain story
2: yeah i think i think empathy has a lot to do with it and i, I think you know, a lot of audiences who will complain that things are, are woke or whatever. They just don't, they lack the empathy to identify with some of these stories. So, um, I saw Red um, and it wasn't that hard to identify with her because I was a teenager once. Although I wasn't a teenage girl, I understand a lot of those those emotions you will have. Um, and when you're, when you're writing, I think there's a lot now about authenticity, especially when, you know, um commissioners are asking for stories you know why why you why should you tell this story And when i'm writing um a story i i do think quite quite hard about how i can be more representative without making it um tokenistic because i think that there are certain stories that i would i can't i just couldn't tell as a white straight man um i don't think i necessarily have the right to tell certain stories but then there are other stories where you may think well the the ethnicity the gender of this character isn't that important to the story you know it doesn't have to be a a white man and I think you know often when you're writing scripts I think there's an assumption that characters ethnicity will always be white Um, and it's it's often on writers to state if they're not white which isn't the right way to go about it I think Um, and it's just figuring out a, a comfortable way, I suppose, of, of pointing out where you may want characters' ethnicity to be anything you want. I think, in, like the Quantum Leap reboot recently, they were um, casting for the main character and they said um, uh, a black or, or Asian man. Um, so they were obviously thinking about that. And I don't think they were being tokenistic. I think in having um, characters who aren't white, you're just going to have automatically different stories and experiences you can draw on. I- I'm, I'm a white straight man from Wales. The, the worst representation I have to deal with as a white man is a Welsh accent on television. Um, I can't say that I've never seen myself on television, um, as you said, Kaleci growing up. I, I will have seen myself in lots of different heroes. Yeah, Empathy is the key thing. Uh, I work quite a lot with people with a learning disability, and... I feel qualified to tell stories about people with a learning disability because I've I've been around people for 14 years. I'll never know what it's like to have a learning disability, but I know lots of those issues. So I would feel very comfortable. And I have, in fact, written lots of stories featuring characters with a learning disability. But then it's on, it's my responsibility, I think, to think about whether I'm the best person to tell other kinds of stories. Um, you, you often see on social media, you know, white male writers complaining that they can't tell um stories about characters from different backgrounds but actually you you're not going to be the best person to tell that story because you have no idea you might be able to empathize but you really need that that first hand experience and like collectively you said it's stories um by the culture in the same way i get very offended when i see um i don't know if anyone saw the accident on channel 4 a couple of years ago the the accents were ridiculous and i know that's a really ridiculous thing to get uh, upset about in terms of representation but you know if, I, if that irritates me and it's just about accents, I can't imagine what it's like for black writers or gay writers to see straight people or white people writing these stories. There's no awareness from people and, and that experience.
0: You know, it's definitely the case. Sometimes it's been done in a bad way, but I think a lot of the times then it's done right if there are those projects in which they say, you know, they've had this consultation with that community, at least, you know, there's that effort to sort of understand it. You know, I think of films like, um, again, I don't know too much on like the sort of directors or writers but you know like sound of metal or something like that there was definitely that inclusion of like the deaf community you've got a fantastic like actress like lauren ridloff who's there who you know is deaf herself and can sort of add that authenticity to it um i think the man who plays the sort of uh person who runs the deaf community uh Sort of rehabilitation program that the character goes to. He grew up with like sort of deaf parents. He understands that community, um, so he could almost bring that into his performance as well. So that that's such a big part of acting as well as you know like writing, directing, all
1: of that kind of stuff. But even then, I can also list bad examples of this happening. I think uh, a couple of months ago, a sort of large amount of my time was taken taken up with reading up about uh, the controversy around Sears film music. Because I think in some respects Sia tried to do the things that you said, tried to do some element of, I think, somebody she knew uh, had the condition that the main character had and even then just propagated an absolute awful amount of harmful things. And then when criticised for it on a number of grounds, quite dismissive in tone as well to a variety of different people, including telling autistic actresses uh, on on Twitter, like, well, maybe you should get better at acting and then you get in films. Mm. It's just yeah. Ha, 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 oh. So I, I also just think that the, there's a there's a danger of people. Uh, I don't understand why people sort of create these weird lines to walk insofar as I just think that if there are stories you genuinely want to tell and your heart's in the right place, you will do whatever you can to be able to try and tell that story authentically even if even if that means certain aspects of your story you just relinquish control i don't understand why people have to say oh yeah i've consulted and then still made still made these uh these decisions after that consultation as opposed to just saying somebody should just take this off my hands in this particular instance so i i i think that there obviously just has to be a line with all of this insofar as some people are going to be well-meaning but still fundamentally morons yeah you know to someone else despite their you know acting ability
0: just seeing them they might make that big difference etc um the same as like lauren ridloff in eternals the fact that you know even though she might not be like a main part by seeing a sort of deaf character in that film that might have a huge impact on like a deaf child uh you know for their future and i think again to go so back to the superhero stuff that's why i'm excited about something like the marvels uh because with the director there you get in uh nia Dacosta costa and there i don't think that you know this story is obviously specifically um you know this has to be told by uh, a director who is black but i think that there's obviously more of an authenticity especially when there's like three female characters that it is a female director but then i am just glad the near cost is there to be like yeah we're getting like a bigger variety of voices and stories and she can bring her sort of experiences and her expertise to it but not in a different way uh that was that was done with black panther of being like add you know it being important to that culture etc and to sort of bring that experience to it is such that it's just you're getting a bigger variety and different types of voices within the marvel directors and then they don't have you know it'll hopefully get to the point in which then once they've brought that um relation and that knowledge that hopefully it could just be like yeah why not why can't that you know asian director direct the next avengers film you know, but obviously we we need to get there, I think. As we said, we're, you know, looking back on The Dark Knight today to kind of, you know, remember, you know, Heath Ledger's fantastic performance. Uh, it's was very much like the rise of Christopher Nolan's career, very much in terms of him being more of a named director. And I guess people take in superhero films a lot more seriously, as Craig said, because it was... Uh, an Oscar-nominated film, so... Oscar-winning yeah. film. Well, yeah, okay, so winning in the actor's sense. <laughs> a lot of people do say that uh, Dark Knight should have had, like, a Best Picture nomination, but we'll get there, we'll get there. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, The Dark Knight, out in 2008. Uh, as I mentioned, it's directed by Christopher Nolan. Uh, it's starring Christian Bale as Batman slash Bruce Wayne, Heath Ledger as Joker, Aaron Eckhart as Harvey Dent, Uh, Michael Caine as Alfred, Maggie Gyllenhaal as Rachel, got Gary Oldman and Morgan Freeman uh, in here as well. And uh, yeah, the sort of brief synopsis of this is when the menace known as Joker wreaks havoc and chaos on the people of Gotham. Batman must accept one of the greatest psychological and physical tests of his ability to fight in justice. So... Yeah, we'll start off uh, then back back to yourself, Kalechi. What what is your f- thoughts on the Dark Knight generally? What is your reactions and your experiences with it? I know you kind of went through like a Batman rewatch in preparation for the Batman as well. Was that kind of different watching it before this film? You know, like o- over ten years later.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's First of all, it's first it's interesting to see how every director takes on Batman, and I think it's a testament to see, oh. Put it in other words, um, why Batman has endured for over eighty years, and it's because of what these like directors have brought to the table. So if you think about Tim Burton, he brought that kind of gothic playground with with Gotham, and you know, Michael Keaton probably not the greatest not the greatest of uh bruce wayne's and batman's but you know at the at the same time there's a quite introspective and introspection that he does that i think makes him like a cult favorite and then you get you fast forward onto well i'm blatantly skipping over joel schumacher was because my least favorite ones um but like at the time batman forever was one of my favorite batman films like i what was the first batman film i saw in, in in the cinema but when you think about the nolan trilogy as a whole um you know you lose the campiness you lose the kind of almost like Warner brothers at the lowest ebb, you know, in terms of what happened with Batman and Robin, like they fought the success of the, of Batman forever. And thought, yeah, we'll go in the same direction. And clearly like, no, this, we went a little bit too far. And then if, but if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have gotten, I would say probably one of the greatest trilogies um, in cinema history. Um, and particularly with the Dark Knight, probably the one of the greatest films that, um, ever made. Um, Lofty, not <laughs> a lofty statement, but it, it, but it is true. And I think it's it, it's a combination of several factors. You know, you have Nolan at the beginning of his peaks, of his powers, um, being a, you know, a, an event director. You know, I think that's very rare, especially in these days now, where like I think a lot of people more gravitate towards corporate IP and, you know, like, oh, I'm going to see an Indiana Jones film because an Indiana Jones film is out. It's like, no, we're... Like it's like saying, well, there's a new Christopher Nolan film. Yeah. I'm definitely going to go and see a Christopher Nolan film. Um, You've got, you know, even though it was the sad death of Heath Ledger, Ledger, but what a great performance to like, to kind of leave on the screen. And, you know, that is probably one of his, you know, his best roles that, um, that he, he, he completed and gave probably one of the definitive, most scary unhinged jokers that you will, that's ever been on screen and you've got the grounded take of gotham you know bringing it right back down to earth stripping out the campiness bringing in the you know almost like this kind of like you can look outside your window and say yeah batman can exist there like there's some like a billionaire is going out there at night you know trying to find justice and and making gotham safe and you have to give big kudos to christian bell because he's the one who's ushered in through those those changes, and I think in this one particular, where it's an antagonistic relationship between Batman and Joker, and obviously Joker does get the amplification because it's the joker there's a there's a kind of understated or quietness that Christian Bell does in his in his performance where it's a reaction to what he what he does, and it's almost like there's a powerlessness, but it's also him almost going that distance to actually you know almost break those rules like in a sense like how batman begins you know i know the whole batman doesn't kill thing um which is quite funny when you look at batman begins like i don't have to save you but i don't like i don't kill you but i don't have to save you That scene, and then it kind of comes back to saying well what is that one rule and how he's pushed to those edges to like what will you do to take down someone who's literally a psychopath um, and when you've got a film that is based on one of Christopher Nolan's favorite films like Heat, you have something that's a very perfect storm or tonic of, of a film that has lasted the ages. And I think that's the reason why we keep returning back to it, because it is a film that has changed cinema. It has you almost have to think of it before like the, the, the comic book boom, you know, with the with the MCU. You have to take it as a film that is not connected to um You know a massive universe as a standalone it works as a trilogy it works um and that's why i think it's still it's still powerful today
0: yeah definitely it's and yeah like so much has changed and i think you are right in the sense of for me it's similar to something like mad max in the sense of like if somebody said to me like oh you know is this one of the greatest sci-fi films ever or something like that i'm like well i don't really think of it as like sci-fi it's not like typical of a genre it's hard to sort of put it in a box whereas you could say is it like one of you know is it this fine example of cinema and film like yes you know it exists on its own whereas if you think of like one of the greatest superhero movies ever made then yeah you might go to something like Your Avengers, or you know, even maybe the newest Batman film, because I suppose it's so like more representative of what the comic book experience is like. Whereas like this Batman, I think, is very much like it's its own thing. Like you said, it's a Christopher Nolan Batman approach, and that's what's great about adapting these i you know IPs is that you can have your different versions, and especially with a character like Batman, which has changed so so much throughout the generations, to go from Adam West to like where we are now you know it shows how how crazy and different that character uh can be so i think for me i think of it in that sense i think they did change comic book movies ultimately but it's funny how you see again like the mcu was a kind of timeline of like the last sort of 10 12 years and the posters gradually just get more and more colorful because like iron man thor they were kind of going with this kind of post Dark Knight, you know, like, oh, it needs to be a bit darker, it needs to be a bit grittier, and like gradually things have just turned more fun and light and and glowy. And I think that then when the Batman's come out, it's like, no, look, it's fine to have both. But yeah, when I think of like the Dark Knight and that trilogy, as you said, it's it's something very much on its own. Uh Paul, did you sort of see this when it originally came out? How, how do you find you know it things have changed? Is is your opinion changed at all?
2: No, I I, I saw the Dark Knight when it first came out and I think, to me, like, collectively, the first Batman I saw the cinema was, was Batman Forever. Um, amazing soundtrack, by the way. Um, oh seal song. Um, and I think all the Batman... Batman, I don't know if that's the right word. Batman films, um, up, to, up to Batman Begins, they all felt like... Um, adaptations of the batman comic to some degree especially the joel schumacher ones and they very much felt like they were just in a on a sound stage in a studio but the 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 nolan batman films they really felt like they were um almost the reverse like they were the real life story of what happened and then someone maybe made a heightened comic book version of it as a comic book it felt like a grown-up batman i was born in 1983 so um i would have been six when the first batman came out and i was a teenager obviously then with the batman forever ones and and they felt like they were aimed at the age i was then and then you know 2008 rolls around i'm 25 and i'm ready for a grown-up batman um and it, it very much um was that and and of the three nolan batman films i think it's the one that really has a clear theme it's that you you die a hero or live long enough to become the villain um i think that's because that's so clear in the film um that's what makes it so good i think
0: interesting with like the way you've aged with batman as well was it then when lego batman came out you were like yes i'm now ready to mock batman i'm like i'm a.
2: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean we're on our sixth batman film since i've been alive um and and actually, the Lego Batman film came out just as I'd become a parent, so that was uh-huh. that was that was also good timing. Yeah. Perfect. Um. I I guess I'm ready now for what I I I'm imagining is the graphic novel version of Batman in uh, Robert Pattinson's.
3: I just want to add that I'm a fan of the Lego Batman movie because that's awesome as well. <laughs>
1: yeah, it is, it is fantastic. It's basically the right form of campy Batman engagement, as opposed to Schumacher, who just what the hell. <laughs>
0: yeah i think lego batman for me as well a lot of people have saying oh i'm sick of like this dark gritty batman you know like the, if they enjoy that kind of campiness or zaniness it's like we haven't had it for so long and i'm like but lego batman you know again it's like you don't want to do this whole like oh animation is not on the same par. it's like look you can still see that campy zany story in in a medium and i think that that's what i enjoyed especially watching back with like the dark knight is as much as again i can appreciate this film i saw sort of go into Some comparisons and thoughts later, but it is easy to mock <laughs> like there's been so many things about christian bale's voice but like that joke in lego batman was like is this like the two boats situation and he's like this is not at all like the two boats and it's just like you're watching then like the dark knight and you're like it is quite funny that there's like this entire situation that he's come up with
3: that whole scene with um he fledger saying like you complete me and then they took they take the piss out of it <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> by, mo- by mocking it from like was it jerry Maguire? <laughs> like,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's why it makes so much sense. That's why I I love it as a kind of, like, not so much, again, a parody. It is very much a love letter to Batman to almost say we acknowledge that the Joker and Batman always have this uh, this kind of Back and forth, this relationship which Joker like plays on, and that's very much a big part of the uh, the animated series. There's that episode the Mark Hamill highlights in which he thinks Batman has died, and he's like devastated. He's like, you know, what do I do with my life? So it, you know, it that is like a part of the character. Obviously, it's just played up in a more playful and silly way in in that film, but it is ultimately still an aspect of the Dark Knight.
2: There were, for me, three unintentionally funny things in the Dark Knight that always. Get me? The first is just Batman um doing the Batman voice with Lucius Fox, even though there's no one else around. And <laughs> Lucius Fox knows who he is. And you know, Bruce Wayne's dedication to his character, I suppose. Um and then the, there's the bit um in the hospital where um he's now two Face, and the Joker's there dressed up as the as the nurse and he's he's you know, the Joker's been fiddling with him for a bit and no reaction. And then the the Joker takes off the mask, the face mask. And he suddenly he's like, oh, my God, it's the Joker. And like, <laughs> clearly it was the Joker all along. There's no way that little face mask was going to stop you. Especially um,
0: the green hair. If anything, his makeup yes. is more bold in that scene as well, because there's times where it's more smeared. But that one is, like, really, like, freshly mm. painted on more as
1: well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, this one is actually in The Dark Knight Rises, but um, there was a bit where... Um, john blake uh joseph gordon levitt's character he's like all the police officers have been trapped underground and there's a really dramatic pointy mix where well it's not all the cops and then he runs away and i just it kills me every time because it it, it, it's it's unintentionally funny um and yeah i was just surprised watching it two faces reaction to the mask because that that really shouldn't have been in there i don't think
3: (laughs) He, he says that christopher nolan doesn't have a good sense of humor like, like, everyone keeps saying, that like, Chris Van Olen is like, like, almost like this cold director, like he's only amusing. But there, he is a funny guy. Like and, and I think he does it, like, almost intentionally, you know, and, and finds the most surreal moments to kind of inject the humour. So, yeah, as you said, Paul, like, the the, the one with Harvey, Harvey Two-Face on the, on the hospital bed. And he has like kind of delirium. I kind of thought like maybe he's just on medications. Like, how did you not spot that? <laughs> That's the Joker, <laughs> you know I me. Mean? But it is it like you do find a lots of humor with him. So I I love that the Dark Knight still, even though it's this very uber serious heist kind of movie, but there are pockets of that in, injection. I think I love one of my favorite bits, which is unintentional, is when Harvey is. Basically, a henchman basically pulls out a gun and tries to kill him in a a courtroom. Maggie Gyllenhaal's character basically talks about like, oh, you know, the mob's coming against you. Like, you know, and Harvey is like, yeah, um, I'm fine, Rachel. Like, you know, you didn't like you're more concerned about the case than actually Harvey's well-being. So it's like these kind of little moments, I think, add to the add to how special the Dark Knight is.
2: Definitely, I think the like the Marvel films themselves are funny, but like the the thing about the Nolan Batman films is the films aren't funny, but the characters are, and I think that that's what makes it you know that that difference in tone makes it um s- such a good film then as well.
1: Yeah, it comes off as very understated, which means that you often pick up on it a bit more as opposed to something with Marvel where you're sort of expecting it all the time. So it can just sort of like breeze by you in certain situations well,
0: that's what i find surprising with batman is there's still this kind of like formula almost to it as well that you know even though what i like with warner brothers is that they are like you know this wonder woman film can be completely different to a batman film and what we're getting with this trilogy and possibly as being suggested by matt Reeves with the next one is that like no this is within its own world we're not going into this whole like you know uh, crossover source stuff Um, and it gives that creative freedom then to sort of control things a bit more but it's, it's surprising how many kind of similar beats that you you come across again like not so much a spoiler for the batman i think it's, it's in the trailers and stuff but there was a point in the dark Knight when i was re-watching it and he's going around like a club and he's like beating up all these guys and i was like this happens in the batman he goes into like a nightclub, and there's this big beat going on and loads of people are loving this scene from the batman where they're like oh my god like that scene where he goes into the the club and stuff like that and i'm like that happens here as well it's crazy how many Like echoes almost happen with the character because it's it's very much like this has to happen. It's a Batman film, like a Star Wars film. You have to have the like. I have a bad feeling about this or that that kind of stuff as well. And I think that Christopher Nolan understands that. There's also that kind of assumption of like, oh, he's just making a Christopher Nolan film. He's taking this away. He's taking that away. It's like no. Like I'm pretty sure in this film isn't there like a reference to like cats or like a cat burglar or something like that there's still like your references and stuff thrown in thrown in there
1: i mean you also just have to look at how they even lead into this film in the first place right because obviously if you look at the end of uh batman begins it literally sets up the intro of this film with just the joker playing card Mm. so they're even aware of the fact that they have to do uh, have to do those sort of references that and also the fact that this trilogy then ends up having just Scarecrow present in all three films is just a weird little touch. Yeah, that's what I appreciate
0: about this trilogy as well. And why I was a very much, you know, again, without going into The Dark Knight Rises, but a lot of people had problems with it. But I enjoyed it as this sort of like tying things up. But watching The Dark Knight, I was kind of reminded like this is how well you did set up this world and these narrative beats and these storylines that Nolan was able... It wasn't a kind of like with other trilogies in which they'd been forced to come back and tie things up, uh, you know, in a haphazard way, maybe like Rise of Skywalker or something. Whereas there, I felt even though Nolan maybe wasn't like, oh, I'm not interested in another Batman film, he still laid all the groundwork for a third film, especially through the end of this film. So as you said, Craig, Batman Begins while not technically an end credit scene, it's definitely one that I think of, of like one of the strongest sort of like ends to a film to get you excited for the sequel, but not in a way of like, I think of it as part one, that Batman Begins still exists on its own. And it's the same here with The Dark Knight. When I rewatched it, I was like, whoa, I forgot how much this sets up. The Dark Knight Rises, how much of that big ending it has of like, he's on the run, they smash the light. Because I think that smashing the light scene was like in the Dark Knight Rises trailer. So I kind of associated it with that. When I saw it here, I was like, they were really ambitious in terms of like setting things up massively. But again, I just appreciate the way that he's still able to kind of have the films be their own thing. And those themes, like you said, with Scarecrow and stuff, it's that, those themes of chaos and... As you mentioned, Paul, like the, you know, becoming the bad guy, all of that runs through clear in in all three films. And I think that this film definitely does encapsulate a lot of the themes and and the topics he wants to discuss.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, you know, Christopher Nolan can end a film. Certainly Um, the the films of his I love the most are the ones where the end the ending it's not the end of the story it it, it hints at something else going on and obviously that happens quite a lot in The Dark Knight Rises that final shot but even in The Dark Knight it it sort of pumps you up and it makes you really excited even though the story's come to an end and everything's wrapped up you're 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 ready to see what's next.
0: Yeah that happened in Inception and that's why originally I was like I had to rewatch Inception to be more on board with it because originally I was just like I was like, right, we know all of this. They're out of the dream. And then when that spinning top thing, I was like, what? No, I can't take this. (laughs) I was like, no, you can't do this to me, Nolan. Um, Similar, I guess, with like Interstellar and stuff like that. But yeah, I came to appreciate it uh, later on. Uh, Kalechi, what's like... So what are some of your like favourite themes and stuff that get brought up in this? Or like the sort of like moral dilemmas and stuff? Because I think for me, when I saw, went to watch this and everyone was like, it's the greatest thing ever. I was like halfway through it. And I remember originally... And even still on rewatch being like, yeah, I'm, I'm still not sure what it is about this film. And then it just gets to like the middle and you're like, oh, right. I remember now. <laughs>
3: um, I think first of all, most is it's a film about escalation. Like as, uh, you know, you guys m- mentioned before, you know, at the end of the, the Batman begins, you know, it's Kevlar, you know, they will come around with armor, piece of rounds and then obviously teasing with the the Joker card and, you know, um, you know, was it the taste of theatricality and so forth? So I, th- I think it's it's the, the themes that I think resonate more is about how the film escalates and how Joker builds all these seminal traps and moments that it's almost like a one-up gameship, like it's almost like a twisty, turny game. Like I will never get over what they did to Jim Gordon, and like the the kind of like oh yeah, you've killed him, and then you there's a good long period where you feel like oh my god, you guys have changed the whole mythology of the of of Batman like what is Batman going to do without a trusted allish, allyship and then you bring him back and then it's like oh my god like oh Batman's got the one up and then it's like no 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 Joker's got <laughs> got, the, got the one up um and i think that that in itself is how the games are they they play that's one of the things that stand out um, strong strong to me um that's the that's a strength to the script um And I think other themes I think of... It's a film that is also a post-9-11 world. Um, You know, you see a lot of that analogy of, you know, the burning fire trucks and so forth. There's a lot of kind of feeling of, you know, we're backing the police, we're backing our... You know, there's a city on the siege kind of feel. And we want to save save the city and you have harvey harvey then being pegged as you know the white knight if you think of the dark knight as being bat batman you've got the um, harvey being sort of like the white savior you know like he can save gotham from the crime and so forth and it's but harvey always keeping siding siding with or playing flirting with the dark side is what kind of sets up the I guess the tragedy of the whole thing is basically Joker saying well the, my long game was not to just play games with you Batman it's to show you that your hopes and fit your hopes of pinning up your your ideals on Harvey Dent to save the world or save Gotham to be specific um, is foolhardy because it's part of this you know the systemic system that of rules and you got Joker who's basically saying I don't play by the rules I don't play by any of the things that you do because it's foolhardy you you're just basically accumulating power and joker's basically stripped away of that power so in a sense when you got the end where you know spoiler alert harvey then dies um <laughs> you know and it's them making the decision of trying to keep the world order because if they reveal the truth that harvey is a psychotic you know he he succumbed to the dark side Then it's almost like, well, we want to save the city from almost worse damage um, than actually face up with the truth. But as we've seen from the Dark Knight Rises, that's also foolhardy.
0: Yeah, and I think in terms of themes, and and that's why my comparisons earlier to like what why I see this film as, and it's similar with like my experiences with like Zack Snyder and stuff. Again, is that it's kind of like very much a respect and then when i see you know like then certain other comic book properties or other certain genres i'm like oh this is my jam and i can go get really into it and love it and i can see then why for me that you know as much as i love the dark knight it's not then like oh this one my favorite films ever i could watch over and over again but i could see somebody who is into that more military combat action real world stuff getting into it or seeing that more real world gotham um because if that is their thing similar to something like with logan where i'm like okay i prefer you know you're crazy jumping out of planes purple plasma lasers kind of x-men whereas you know if your thing is like old man logo and all gritty and stuff then cool that that's your thing and i think that that's what's interesting watching this film again it's like at the end of it i'm like nolan is very much saying like batman's gonna take this on and he's gonna sort of say like he can be what gotham needs him to be and going down this like root of being like what if like even the people who are the greatest and meant to be protecting you were actually covering up this whole lie and i'm like i don't think that you know batman animated series batman would do that you know i don't know if like my batman would say no we don't like people we can't do this and i think that's what's again interesting about the characters like your version of batman or in this case nolan's version of batman
2: and the 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 thing i like about the joker is he's not a, he's not he's not about the crime you know like, um, Jared Leto's Joker is just a gangster. Um, and you know, Mr. Freeze just got a bit cold and angry in, um, Batman and Robin, I think. Um, but, and the other thing hey, I love He was is trying that they... to
0: solve global warming, Paul. There's, there's an yeah. important cause. <laughs> okay?
2: <laughs> the, the other thing I really love what they did with the Joker is they do not explain his backstory whatsoever. Um, I think that that's often a failing of, of quite a lot of comic book movies is that the... the bad guy you know what i loved about black panther was um killmonger like yeah he's right everything everything he's trying to um fight against he's right but you know most comic book films just it's just someone's being evil for the sake of it but the joker like as a writer myself having having to justify all of your characters um backstory and stuff it was just refreshing to see the Joker's just he's chaos and that's that's fine we don't need to see any more of it
1: I think it just works for the film as well because I think the thing it does masterfully above the vast majority of comic book films that I would say is that it just plays with tension in ways that those other films don't really do Um, so one the fact that you don't you don't know anything about the Joker which basically means that the line you have to walk with him is so is so tight that you genuinely don't know in what way it's gonna go. And I think I think the performance of of Ledger does that fantastically, because I remember some of the scenes that it was reported that he improvised within the film. So uh when Commissioner Gordon is given the rank and he's there clapping in the jail cell as well, which just unnerved everyone and apparently that was just something he just did, which excellent touch. But also just the music I think as well. Um I think it's I can't remember exactly, but I think it was the technique of of what was run over the violin strings to cause that like... E- I can't replicate it. Well, I'm not going to try and do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but that sort of like screeching sound, which I just associate wholeheartedly with this film. And just every time, you know, you hear the... Do you want to know how I got these scars stories and just all of the really tense moments? And obviously... Probably one of the best intros to a film with with the bank robbery scene and just that entire the way that sort of escalated out uh for the grand reveal, I just think that those moments sort of do an absolute great job of just putting you on edge throughout the entirety of this film, even the more conventional sort of superhero uh film moments such as say um I can't remember the character's name uh where they fly over to they basically fly and get the the guy back, yeah, and they use the technique of. Getting back on the plane without the plane landing,
0: yeah, in Hong Kong, yeah, in Hong
1: Kong, that's it. Yeah, even that, even though it's meant to just be sort of you know traditional fear, because of everything that's happened around it, you you still feel unsettled insofar as what is actually going to happen. What at is this actually point, going to happen we, this point. What are we looking out for? And then obviously, it just then, results with lots and lots of murder, including one of the creepiest murders with the uh, the found footage. Mm.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, that's what, again, like, I'm glad that I sort of took a long time to rewatch this film in a way because I think when I saw in the cinema, like I said, I was kind of, you had that expectation. If you didn't watch it, like, say, maybe opening night or something, then everyone's raving about it and you're like, okay, let's see what the hype is all about. So you kind of maybe put more expectations on it. You're sort of judging it more harshly. And I remember watching it kind of thinking, right, okay, you know, not sure about this or do we have to go with this dark grim Batman? And then, you know, where's the meat of this story? And like kind of getting halfway through. And for me, I think that the film really does take off and and work. And, but kind of, you know, again, like Mad Max in the sense that that's, that film is an entire, you know, car chase. And and he was, as you were saying, Cletchy, it's just that this escalating, you know, chain of events and all these traps the Joker has set up. I think it's when he gets caught that then that kind of like explains why the first half of the movie is the way it is and why the second half of the movie is the way it is um so i think that that yeah that that's what's like interesting to me is that again it's that example of joker kind of takes over the movie in a lot of ways like every time in you know people say with the tim burton the 1989 one is the very much that feels almost like a joker film like more than batman that he saw steals the spotlight with jack nicholson happens very much here with Heath Ledger. And until eventually they were like, look, let's just give Joker his own film because this is clearly what people love and and what they need. And I think that the Todd Phillips Joker film kind of does justify that, that they're like, yeah, this guy, if we're going to go down this, like this guy is a psycho aspect of him, then you need to go down this route. And that's what makes me think if you're going to do another Batman Joker film, you know, maybe you should, you know, scale back the like, he's completely crazy. He's killing people aspect to him which is you know like, again Mark Hamill's Joker still has that but I think you, do, you don't want to keep stealing the spotlight away from Batman because I think in this film they do it again perfectly because again it's as we said it's he's the agent chaos which I love that line I love that scene he has with Harvey Dent in which he says you know you assume that I know what's going to happen or what I will do but you know I don't know myself I don't know how I'm going to react to this you know I think that he definitely is like the the star of the film which is why you know he, he won an oscar for it but it very much is that like it's that batman joker relationship becomes a part of the film but i don't know in the future if again something like the batman which is like more batman is the star of the show is i think the villains very much were the stars for the majority of the films up until until recently
3: yeah i mean just to add on to that um Going back to Heath Ledger, I I always saw him. If I go back to the sort of post, the kind of post nine eleven analogy, I always kind of envisioned his version of Joker being like a a returned um, like army vet, <laughs> you know, and and because he he basically commits like terrorism across Gotham, and you know you talk about the found footage and like holding people captive. You know, holding the whole the whole city hostage, the two boats, and all those kind of things, testing the basically the morality of it. And then when you've got what Paul said about you never really understand what, um, what what his origin story is or what he, what where he came from. We, we all know he had a bad day, um, but that almost just adds to the, how you feel through the film. Like you feel unhinged. Like you don't feel safe. You don't feel like I can be comfortable as. And you know, you talk about Hans, Hans Zimmer and uh, James Newton Howard's music you know, just em- emphasising that because you can never be honest because you just don't know how it is. It's like, he's like what he says, like I'm, I'm a dog, like a dog chasing cars. Like it's unpredictable. And I think when you have someone that's unpredictable, then it makes the engagement um, when you're watching the film very exciting. Um, but I do agree with you, David, about the Batman and Joker. I think it is, it is a seminal part of the relationship, but as... The Batman, just to kind of fast forward a little bit, the Batman at least shows that there's more potential in the Rogues Gallery, and I think that the, I think there's an opportunity this time around to kind of expand on that. Um, I feel like I'm all jokered out if I'm being <laughs> if I'm being honest, um, and I think that it's it's a good time to kind of not you know I'm not saying he disappeared completely, but just you can almost just put him to one side because we kind of know that it's gonna be the crux of what who and what batman is you know there's in in the dark knight there's elements of the killing joke you know like batman had one bad day the joker had one bad day and they kind of live have this codependency relationship where they can't well for the joker's sake he doesn't want to kill batman He's just having he's having so much fun why would like that's that's his game that's his element so with that you don't you you kind of like it's a story that's kind of set in stone and you like you know it's going to be just sort of back and forth um but with the potential of the Rogues Gallery, there's there's far more stories that you can tell and explore. You know, Paul talked about um Mr. Freeze. I I still want want um Heart of Ice, one of the best Batman animated episodes, to be translated into film. I hope Matt Reeves can do that. <laughs> um but I think there's there's opportunity to tell something that is very different. And I think that I think the audience is ready for that.
0: I don't think Joaquin Phoenix's Joker would exist without this Heath Ledger one as well, is that idea that he brought to it of saying like, well, what if this is like a really unhinged, crazy, as you said, like almost terrorist-like man? You know, I think that that is very much an aspect of the character and what we discussed previously in like our
1: Joker special. What I would say sort of encounters what you were saying insofar as uh, Joker taking over this movie. I think this is where this acting as a sequel sort of works in its favour because obviously you have the first film that basically develops... A lot of the moral center of where Batman is, how he operates. So I think it is then clever basically just dedicating the majority of the film to this actual psychological and let's face it, uh sociological discussion of how people react to certain uh certain pressures. Which is why I think it actually works fine insofar as Batman being a sort of a quieter aspect in that regard. One thing I do find with that sort of wider discussion, a little bit confusing, is that I don't think they give a clear answer as to why the first scenario that the Joker lays out insofar as if Batman's uh, identity gets revealed, I blow up a random hospital Hmm. and everybody's sort of clamoring to kill that guy versus then the boat scenario, which is just prisoner's dilemma of um i've given you both the detonators to the other's boat either i blow you up in about five minutes or one of you kills the other boat and nobody just reacts unless it's literally just that sort of commentary of just trying to build up to this idea of people outside the drama thinking that their loved ones will get hurt will react badly but if you're in that situation yourself you react differently but even then i think would have liked a clearer answer on that but even then i think a lot of the actual concepts they raise throughout the film are actually quite fascinating
0: it almost goes back to what we were saying earlier about the relationship with batman and joker though is that i think there is a line almost there in which he he almost insinuates that like i want to be the one who reveals who batman is nobody else gets to have this moment it's like this is my this is my time or that he also acknowledges he's a part of the chaos so i can't let this go this is my thing and that's what i love about again that that conflict of worlds is that the viewpoint the joker is very much like i want like the prison ship to almost survive because i want a world of chaos and i want all these like crazy dark people to survive and this is just the world we live in you know as you were saying clechi with the scene with harvey dent when he has that moment where he's saying about, you know, everyone loses their minds, you know, when the mayor is attacked. But if, uh, you know, somebody who's unhinged or um, like a truck full of soldiers dies, then, oh, it's just a part of the system. And that very much reflects, as you were saying, that there's some kind of history there, but it's mysterious. And yeah, I, I think that's what I kind of, respect by the film as well is that and it's it's somewhat i don't know i don't know if you could say it kind of comes through in something like tenant as well in which it's very like theatrical over the top is that it's almost shakespearean at points especially with like michael Caine's character like at the start of the film they're very much like right now the inspirational scene between michael Caine and uh bruce now the like love scene between uh rachel and bruce it's all very much like like a stage thing of like now this now this you know there's no kind of like natural come downs there's no sort of like natural conversations they go from beat to beat to beat and that then only like helps then the end of the film when they're very much like now we go to the interrogation now we go to this chase scene now we go to this harvey dent you know questioning his morality so it kind of builds up all of those like events and sequences to kind of pay off in the sense that they become these big theatrical moments later on uh, yeah Paul do you find like the structure and the the sort of way it plays out kind of interesting in that way
2: yeah um, like what Kalechi said about um, uh, escalation and, and chaos like the, the Joker is an agent of chaos but, but however his plan is incredibly well timed and thought out and you know in other films I would probably not forgive stories for you know for instance um, the Joker's school bus neatly joining that row of other school buses that would be unforgivable in most other films but i let it go because it's so the structure's so good and it builds up to something that there's you know there's elements of the joker's plan later on where it's like that's incredibly fortunate that that happened to you how did you plan that you know as part of even though he presents as very chaos the structure is very very much very tight and it's there and and you can follow it and and for that reason you know i'd forgive some of those flaws and you know the joker the, the film and, and the Joker does things that you just, Christ, you know, that wouldn't have happened in another Batman film or superhero film. You know, he he kills someone with a pencil to the head. Um, he sets fire to all the money and he kills Rachel. And, you know, as a writer, and I thought, I was like, Jesus Christ, that's brilliant to have, you know, gone that far. And, you know, not, not have, you know, it was very tense. And of course you were thinking, well, they're going to save Rachel. Obviously this is what happens in superhero films, but they didn't. And that was, you know, brilliant um michael like actually said yeah the, the escalation and the structure were were was so good i forgave some of the other things like you know similar thing happened with skyfall with um javier bardem's character where um he happened to be in the prison um i managed to arrange for an underground train to crash through the wall he uh, the prison he happened to be in um and i probably didn't forgive skyfall for that because the film wasn't probably as, as well structured and thought out as the dark knight
0: yeah I think yeah and it's just that ambition again isn't it the fact that like similar what we were saying like post 9-11 world of just that like if this happens, I'll blow up a hospital and you're like, you know, this is not something you're used to hearing in like, you know, your superhero fear. And so the things that he does, the things he's willing to do, and like that feeling of being on edge, I still jump a mile every time that like dead Batman body hits the window with the Joker smile on it. I'm like, oh my, you know, every time I see that, that scares the crap out of me because you are kind of like, there's this sort of like, nervousness you have throughout the film because yeah Joker's just always one step ahead but I love again it goes into that chaos thing but he's turned you know he's like he sees Dent as this kind of like he is the answer and I'm not sure if we've really had it before even in the animated series is they're like right how can we use Two-Face and Joker in in the same movie and he's like because Harvey Dent's you know character in comics and the animated show and stuff is still a similar thing. He's gone from this good guy to this evil guy, but how can I use Joker in the same story? And it's like, oh, what if Joker sort of like encourages that turn and sort of like wants him to turn because he is the, you know, the symbol of, of good within the city. And if he wants chaos, he needs to like make the most perfect guy, the, the, the evil guy. I'm like, that, that's just genius.
1: Especially considering as well in the, in the other, in the, Other mediums that you mentioned. It's not just a case of he's good and then goes bad. He they they do explore that he has the uh multiple personality disorder, right? Mm -hmm. So the capacity for bad in that sense is already sort of there, as opposed to here where it has to be very much cultivated by uh the chaotic forces and just you have a man who basically leaves who believes that he should leave nothing to chance and basically take control of everything to basically, you know, get to that situation where you know, law and order prevails. Now believing in that element of chaos and letting the bad things happen. Because I, I love the coin. I've got to say, I think it is such a, I think it is such a clever thing to have utilised throughout the film. Because obviously, it's quite iconic for Two Face anyway. Um, and the way they handled it is just generally fine. But here, I just like this idea of consistently calling upon it, saying like, I need leave nothing to chance, showing us the double head, and then obviously getting burnt out. Uh, revealing like that's where he now has to let that chance come in, and all of the bad things that come with it. And that that was a great thing when the film came out.
0: Is I don't think we didn't see Two Face in the trailer like the actual. So I remember being in the cinema and when he turns, being like, "Oh my god!" you know? <laughs> Like me and Craig got a mutual friend who had that as a Halloween makeup once, and I was like, "You have done that to a T because they did the proper flesh eye hanging out." But it, you know, it's a scary image, but. But yeah, it's, that was an effective thing when they brought out the film originally as well was just that the shock of seeing it as well because obviously up until that point we'd only had like Tommy Lee Jones which is
2: very, very different.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, the purple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's a testament to how well he managed the tone because let's not forget it's a film about a a grown a million a billionaire who dresses up as a bat and the fact that the tone was handled so well that you could not only have that but a a completely unsurvivable burn but you buy it completely because everything else was so well set up because you know Catwoman in dark knight rises they never call a Catwoman; she's just got a headset that looks a bit like cat so they they knew when to push it and when to pull it back so yeah that's really good um element of the film i think especially yeah. also
1: how they even use the the name two-face because i think they do try and suggest this idea of the police force don't like harvey dent because uh because of this persona and just you you get this idea of just this something there but then the fact that this just turns around is like what did they call me at the precinct two-face
0: yeah and he has that unhinged moment that's where again you've seen this kind of more calm character before and he's like say it you know and like yeah. you know like gordon's like oh my god you know what's happened to this guy so yeah, I, I think that that works really well. And it it's a how Two-Face, like, incorporates the film well, even though we said the Joker does almost take over the film in some sense, but, you know, he still has a lot of agency within this, even though films that have multiple villains can often, you know, crumble. Um, what do you guys think with uh, sort of Christian Bale as Batman within this? You know, I, I was surprised again watching back because there's often the thing of, like, are they a better Batman than they're a Bruce Wayne? Are they a better Bruce Wayne than they are a Batman? And I very much think of um, Ben Affleck when people were saying, oh yeah, he was great Bruce Wayne. And I, I always kind of think then like, oh, well, I guess most of them beforehand were just great ba- Batman. But then when I rewatched this, I was like, oh no, I forgot The Christian Bale actually is maybe more of the whole better Bruce Wayne the Batman because Batman is such just a soldier. And again, sometimes I do struggle with the goofy voice, but even some stuff is not aged well and I think even at the time was kind of dated and I'm glad they've gone away from that of the whole like Bruce Wayne showing up with like three women around his arms like, it's just like that that just wouldn't happen anymore and I don't think it even happened in 2008 but what I do like is like the perfect way of again being like if this billionaire was doing this again he's doing it in a way that like he's got somebody like Lucius Fox who's kind of Invest in his stuff, but they're hiding it behind like, "Oh, we're investing in this and we're investing in that." And you've got an actual character who's like, "I know who he is." But you have that great scene then in which he comes in with the Lamborghini and like crashes in uh to the cars and everything and stops that entire situation happening. And then Gordon's just like, "Oh, thank you, Bruce Wayne, for doing this." And he's like, "What? What did I do? I was just trying to run the light." And he was just like, "Oh," and I was just like, "That was a perfect writing of that character." Because kudos to you know. Bruce Wayne, in that he was clever enough to do that. I think any other Batman film would have had this moment of being like, "Oh oh no, is he on to me?" kind of thing. But they they showed that he was a smart guy. He knew what he was doing. He looked at the other guy, kind of you know, winked, almost of being like, "Right, I've saved you now. You owe me," kind of thing. But they very much made it that he puts up the best persona. I think that you wouldn't guess that he's Batman because when he's at these parties, etc., he is like a completely different person.
2: Yeah, I I, I obviously not seen the Batman yet, but you know, it's probably the only portrayal where there are three of him. There's there's Batman, there's the Bruce Wayne with the models crashing into crashing his sports car, and then there's the Bruce Wayne who talks to Alfred and Lucius Fox, and that's, I think, the real Bruce Wayne. And the other two are just personas, different parts of him.
3: Yeah, I think just to add, I kind of see Christian Bale as like almost like the balanced package. Like, he's still, he's like, I think he, for me, he's probably the best live-action Batman, um, and that's just because he's able to combine Bruce Wayne almost like in a, in a kind of almost Clark Kent sense, like you've got that separate personality in there, but when he puts on the suit, he's like, I am justice, I'm vengeance, whatever. And I, I, I don't know if it, if, if it, this was just a me thing or anything, but just re-watching it recently, I kind of, with now in the context with the Batman out, it also feels, Nolan's version of Batman also feels a bit Bondian, like Bond, James Bond kind of thing. Like you can see... Lucius Fox, like you know, oh here's here's this you know you know a little gadget and you know and you know here's Christian Bell kind of with his three piece suit, looking little suave and just you know like oh yeah can you make something that you know I can turn my head and you know improve my body body armor so that you know it can repel you know knives and whatever you know and I and I think there's I don't know there's there's a lot of I think that he gets a balance that's right with that and you you can almost he painted a bruce wayne that you as you said david almost like oh he can't be batman like you know like no one would ever think that he would he he, he would dress up as as a, as a Kate crusader and go out at night and trying to stop criminals from, from from harming the city and i think that's a testament to christian bell as an actor just being able to play the duality um between the roles um and just kind of in, you know stamping his own authority yes we take the piss out of the batman voice but at the same time it's like there's still a commandment like it's still a commitment to the role like he's it's almost in a set of like a method method acting like you know even though people know who he is like Lucius fox like i know who you are but you're still doing the batman voice you're still like you know and that's why i I, I always laugh at the dark Knight rises when like Catwoman's is there, he does she does the disappearing and he's like, So this is what it feels like. You know, like, yeah. like yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So I think, you know, I think I I, I think what why Christian Bell has endured as probably one of the highest rankings what is that I think he again balanced, but I think he's able to just nail the two different personas really well.
0: And he also has that great relationship with Alfred, which is brought on a lot by Michael Caine's performance. Again, I do find it, again, quite funny how he is always just like, I'm here to say that, like, you know, memorable advice, et cetera, but that, you know, what they do here, which, again, you know, it could be seen as a bit heavy-handed, but then sometimes Nolan is a bit like that as a director, but you kind of have to appreciate the creative choices and the kind of inventiveness of it is like that story, I think, is a Boomer or something, where he's saying about you know, chucking away the stones and we had to burn down the forest to find them. You know, when that comes through to like what the Joker's doing, you're like, that is like a perfect analogy for that. And it was a great way of, of using that story to kind of be like, you know, what does he say? Some men just want to see the world burn. And, you know, like that, again, it's, you know, Bruce and christian bale don't play it in a way of like oh you're so uncool alfred you know he really respects his advice and you can feel that bond there because when they're like ripping everything up and they're burning everything they're like oh we have to leave no trace if uh, i get found out as the batman and you know as they're going up the lift and he's just like i'll put it all on you alfred or you know i'll say you were all behind it you know you get that bond and that kind of like companionship there
1: especially considering i i love the story as well but particularly because the final line just does come in so much later in the film mm um just insofar as that sort of metaphor of just the this is how far they've gone what do we need to do in response basically go just as far which then obviously leads to him using the the i can't remember the name of the program but basically like the the phone sonar that just mm. becomes essentially mass surveillance yes. which is a weird authoritarian take for like batman to generally go after Um, Especially, that was quite scary in 2022. And they're like, you mean that our
0: phones can hear all our conversations and listen to us? And I'm like, oh God, you know, like when it listens to our, you
1: know, like advertising and stuff. I was like, the Dark Knight saw it coming. I mean, given the story I told you before we started recording, I'm kind of used to that as a concept of we can be listened on listened in on any given moment true true so are you saying your mum is back? I, I, s- I swear <laughs> to god
0: <laughs> so uh yeah is is there anything last see you guys any last notes on this film before uh, we get to our facts and sort of wrap up uh, our conversation
2: i just want to say how amazing the theme is it's two notes but um you you always remember it um just uh you know hands him is a great composer but i mean you think of you know the super the the superman theme um even the Avengers theme, actually, for me, is, is incredibly rem- memorable and gets me, you know, hyped up. But to to, have, to do it in two notes it takes something um, special, I think.
3: I think my final point is just that it's, for me, one of the greatest films I've ever seen. <laughs> like, or at least one of the greatest superhero films that is, that's been ever made. Um, and that's just a testament to, you know, the writing, directing, the great ensemble cast, and, you know, just some ph- phenomenal performances. And we'll still be talking about The Dark Knight, you know 10 years later for the end of time i guess
1: yeah. well movie vault later is going to be yeah. fun
0: well I, I guess here like you know it, it's probably a, a good time to sort of bring it into here because i think that does sort of encapsulate what we're talking about there is that again you know despite what you think batman should be or is or what you prefer in your type of stories do you prefer things more drawn out do you think prefer things more stylized more gothic like your burton films or the new batman film ultimately this is just a great movie overall because there's so many memorable moments in it there's you know it, it's it got a lot of cleverness in what we were saying with like the way the joke is played into it and yeah it's just a lot of commentary just again of like the industry how superhero films changed in response to it how films were being made at that time the acting power in it, Nolan, you know, as, as you say, Kelechi, I think even in a lot of his films, there's this kind of desire to want to do Bond in tenet, in Do you mean Tenet? Tenet, yeah, I always say. Uh, Inception, I think there's always this aspect of doing like a Bond-esque, you know, element to it. So... Yeah, I, th- I think that the fact that this was really like the the time that he became the name director he is and when the Inception trailer came out that it was like, oh, what's this like random film with like crumbling buildings all about dreams? Well, this isn't an, a franchise, but people were really hyped and I think it, you know, was largely because of The Dark Knight and actually wasn't it that he was like, I will do The Dark Knight Rises if you will make Inception. <laughs> so, you know, Nolan has effectively played the Hollywood game as well in the sense of like, I want to tell these original stories and, you know, these are the... ways i'm going to do it is by you know helping out with the superhero genre as well yeah well and like we said originally it went in for heath ledger's performance and i think that like i said earlier you wouldn't get like joaquin phoenix's joker and stuff without this so yeah definitely much deserved uh the dark knight uh, remains in the movie vault and a fantastic opportunity to uh, deep dive and talk all about the film
1: All right, so uh, wind those tapes back and play them again because it's time for VHS Corner. I'm now going to hand over to Paul, who's going to talk to us about some interesting facts uh, behind the scenes of the film or just anything that we may have missed.
2: Thank you, Craig. Right, okay. So one of the facts is probably only going to be entertaining for me, but um, we'll leave that to last. Um, <laughs> You're doing a Craig. You're so... definitely doing a Craig. <laughs> Why is that a bad thing? <laughs> Didn't say it was. So apparently um when um, Michael Caine first saw Heath Ledger as the Joker was at the 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 fundraiser scene where he um he, he comes in and apparently Michael Caine was so frightened by his performance uh, Heath Ledger's performance that Michael Caine forgot his lines, completely flubbed him and I can I can definitely see that given his performance in that scene especially. Then uh, another fact whilst filming one of the chase scenes, um, they destroyed one of only four IMAX cameras that were in existence in 2008 and for anyone who's ever destroyed a piece of expensive equipment and work, you imagine how that person must have felt. Another one and, and this is interesting one because um, I remember reading about this as they when they first announced it um some of the actors who wanted to play the joker they, they were never i think heath ledger was always one of the favorite uh, the favorite one but um paul bettany adrian brody and interestingly robin williams and i think robin williams is probably one of the few actors who could have been the joker in um joel schumacher batman and a christopher nolan batman i think um would have done that um quite easily um you mentioned this earlier, Craig. Um, the the skyhook device, which is the thing they used to um, crane um, Batman and the banker out of, was it was it Hong Kong or Singapore? Um, I think David it said in,
1: it was Hong Kong.
2: Okay, yeah, it is in fact a real device developed by the CIA, and it's actually been used um, in real operations. And a skyhook is also something that builders will tell new people on the job to go and get from the van, but doesn't exist. <laughs> I, my father's a builder, and occasionally I'd work. You know, I'd go for, go to work with him as a teenager, and they'd go get, go and get the sky hook, and I'd go down to the van and I'd have a look. I can't find the sky hook. What's it for? Because "It's to pull the sky down." <laughs> and apparently, they, if you're ever on a building site, they'll, they'll they'll tell the new guy to go and fetch it. And then finally, and this is a fact just for me. This might betray my age a bit, but um, Nickelodeon used to have a f- football sitcom, a British football sitcom called Renford Rejects, and one of the prisoners um the very nice pretty boy um the uh uh, prisoner um very briefly seen is the main star of renford rejects and when i first saw him i thought oh my god it's that guy from renford rejects um and i appreciate that fact is interesting pretty much to me but i felt like i had to share it
0: definitely a very poor fact
1: there he was a gotham
0: (laughs) gotham reject in this one
1: (laughs) to be fair i do reckon i can't remember where from uh where from now but I do remember at the time being really obsessed with the fact that the prisoner who has the bomb sewn into him was prominent in the TV show I was watching. I cannot remember what it was. And I was just like, oh my God, it's him. And then, oh wow, he he
0: dies horrifically. Yeah, that's again, another psychotic thing because you kind of, you know, you don't see him like blow up into bits or anything, but you do still see a kind of like a part of the explosion, similar with Rachel, you kind of see the kind of flinch and you're like, oh, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. It cuts away almost like a second after you'd wanted to, in a way. It's kind of scary in that sense. You were saying about people potentially could play Joker as well. It reminded me the interesting aspect that David Dasmachian is in this film, who then goes on to play Polkadot Man in Suicide Squad. And he's that police officer well dresses as a police officer when Joker attacks with like the mayor and Harvey Dent and everything and when he's laughing and he's like all weird and creepy I was like he could be Joker as well you know it's crazy how many actors could could play the Joker I think again that's why if you have this whole like Joker solo film thing in the future it could work just so you could see how many iterations of Joker we can go through or how many people can do performances of that character
1: I genuinely don't know how I would feel about Robin Williams as a more serious version of the Joker joker (laughs) uh because i know he can obviously do the dramatic roles incredibly well but i think this is something i i genuinely think it would make me cry seeing somebody who's so well known for just like upbeat positivity or just like melancholy sort of misery but developing from that literally just going into the worst impulses i don't know how i'd react to that but yeah no those other choices sound really interesting but yeah, I, I think it's just hard to imagine anyone else apart from Heath Ledger at this point.
0: Yeah, exactly. Awesome.
1: Right, thank you, Paul, for those
0: uh, awesome facts about The Dark Knight. Uh, that wraps up our discussion of uh, the film. And we now go to our final part, which is the end Game.
3: We're in the endgame
1: now. Okay, end Game time. So we're bringing back one of our favourite traditional games for this, so... Uh, David should be getting up an image that will basically represent exactly what this game is about. This is a game very beautifully called DC or not DC? That is the question. And you should be able to see my magnum opus there. (laughs) What what can I say? Shakespeare is a big fan of big fan.
2: (laughs) That took you hours, didn't it? (laughs) I I do my best. It's just uncanny. It's just
3: amazing.
1: (laughs) My only regret is not giving him a cape. Anyway, so the idea of this game is that obviously, uh, as much as I've sort of joked about it during the episode, um, you know, this mainly being about the Dark Knight, uh, we did end up sort of drawing upon a lot of different areas of both Batman mythology and also to a a lesser degree uh, some DC aspects. And I also just thought because the Joker walks the line of insanity quite a lot. I think there are lots of situations where you don't know what's real and what's what's not real. So I thought I would introduce this with a variety of DC characters. What I have is a list of different characters. Some of them are from the DC universe, some of them are not from the DC universe, whether that's they are pre-existing characters elsewhere or that they are things that I've just made up. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the names and I want you to guess whether they are DC or not DC. Which is why, uh, very much, I would like you to have uh, paper signs that basically say DC or not DC. So we can have a moment where we basically hold them up at the same time. So, if, while you make those signs, I think it's a good opportunity to tell you what you're playing for. Obviously, you'll now be playing for the opportunity to choose the film that we discuss in our next episode. And obviously, in the next episode will have an animated focus. So we very much are looking for a film which is well animated for starts but outside of the sort of major juggernaut characters so we don't want any disney films you don't want any pixar films uh we don't want any dreamworks films. we're very much looking for um underrated to a certain extent or just outside of the big scope uh films uh to play on there so david um to give them a hint of what film they could they could win if they choose you yeah and also you- as a tease as well I think because you said obviously
0: we're talking about animation but I suppose people at home don't know why it it is animation next time but yeah uh, certain guests etc we're having back means that we just have to talk about animation if these people are coming back but yeah so um, I'll tease you now to my what I think would be a great one to choose Uh, so uh, my film is from the 80s which was a very dark time for animation you had a lot of kooky weird ideas were happening and this film very much goes with that It's kind of crazy in the sense that what studio it's affiliated with now, even today. And it's almost even hard to find. It's very much like a kind of under the radar animated film. It's one that I watched a lot as a kid. And the biggest link I'd say to Batman is that in The Dark Knight, you have a very scary clown. And, you know, apart from maybe something like Pennywise, then, you know, he's very scary. But I would say that this is up there with just one sequence in this film, but a very, very haunting clown, scary
1: clown that appears in this film. And as for my film, my film is also from the 80s. My my film also has a very interesting production history. I think for me, that the biggest continuation that this film would have uh, following The Dark Knight, I think, is mainly in the spectacle. I think both films, to a certain degree, have a large segment involves a lot of destruction of machinery and just uh, just like absolute chaotic moments where you often have some spiritual exploration of the characters that we're talking about and, you know, the values of what makes somebody a hero uh, within society. So I think there's a lot that can be drawn in those parallels, uh, which is why I chose the film that I have. Obviously, if you win, you also have the ability to choose whatever film that you would like us to talk about uh, for next episode. So it's not just a simple... Uh, David or Craig situation, even though it usually is just me. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, have you both made your signs? Yes. Okay, are we ready for our first character? Yes. Yes. Okay, so your first character, and David, can you keep score? Yes. (laughs) Okay, so I'll give you about five seconds to make your decision. Your first character is Lord Deathman. Five, four... Three, two, one. Okay. Um I believe you have both gone for that is not a DC character. Any wanna give us any hints on why you think that might be the case?
3: No, sounds too generic, but it wouldn't surprise yeah.
1: me. <laughs> okay, so you think that the franchise that is given this character, such as Superman and Batman is a bit too generic to go for Lord Deathman? Man. <laughs> <laughs> so, DC or not DC? That is a DC character. Wow. Oh. Yeah
3: need to brush up on my
1: dc knowledge i mean i've deliberately gone for relatively obscure characters in this situation <laughs> and, <laughs> and bad news uh i said to david before this i thought the lord Deathman man was one of the more obvious ones on this list <laughs> oh dear, i didn't recognize it either that's okay we uh we're starting this off
3: uh, on the wrong foot okay <laughs> i mean that's
1: that's fine it can only go up from here yeah okay so our next entry is technically a, a duo of characters Hammer and Sickle. DC or not DC? Five, four, three. Ah, we've gone for a diverging. So, uh, just to double check. So, Paul has gone not DC. And then DC. So, obviously, one of you is going to be right. DC or not DC? They are DC characters. (laughs) <laughs> so that is one point. So, just to give you an idea of who they are, they are originally uh, a pair of conjoined twins called the uh, Abramov-Mavici twins. Uh, they basically become henchmen for Joker, who end up basically having them separated because he believes that they can fight more effectively apart. And they end up become uh, becoming hammer and sickle uh, because of the weapons that they choose. If I'm correct of who they are, if you if you see uh, the killing joke, it's the conjoined twins in in the, in there. If I'm right, that's just me making an assumption. <laughs> Did you know that one, Clutchy? You were like so sort of nodding. It's, uh,
3: it's, it sounded familiar, so oh, okay. I had to I had to go for the the DC count
1: Yeah. Okay. So number three, Krang. DC or not DC? Four, three, two. Oh, and we've gone for the uh, we've gone for the exact same answers again. So, Paul,
2: uh, any reason why you've gone not DC? Um, I may have misheard you, but it sounded like the baddie from the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, and Galachi has gone for DC. Uh, any thinking or just?
3: It did sound like the character from Ninja Turtles, but I I, don't, I was going for a guess.
1: Okay, so. DC or not DC? Paul is indeed correct that that is the the evil 8 Dimension X alien from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. So that means it's a point apiece. To be fair, it could have been one of
0: those Marvel DC situations, which are like, they've got Kang, they've got Krang. I, you know? Yeah, I did. Yeah.
3: Look. I, think, I, think, I think my mind went through that. So, yeah. I mean, yeah.
1: originally I put Kang, but then realized I was like one of the aliens from The Simpsons, which could have also complicated yeah. things. <laughs> okay. Are we ready for number four? Go
3: for
1: it Tadwallader Fruit Juice. So that's Wallader Fruit Juice. Wait, that's Five, that Simpsons Kang four... Can't <laughs> Three, two, one. Okay, and we've very much gone for the reverse. So Galachi going not DC, Paul going DC. So DC or not DC? That is a DC character. That is the human alter ego for a uh, for a superhero uh, coming up who basically. It's very confusing exactly how he transforms into a hero um but he's basically known for being incredibly super smug and generally unlikable which why that's a hero is beyond me it just sounds like Krobopol from the simpsons <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm sorry anyone who's called tad Wallader, i'm just i have to put on this list okay number five super hip Super hip, super super hip. super hip. So five, four, three, two, one. Okay, so you've both gone for not DC. Uh, Kelechi, any reasons why, or just it's
3: pure gone? guess? <laughs> it's pure guess.
2: Paul, any thinking? I, I just think DC would be too protective of the super name to put to, to have a character called Super Hip. <laughs> okay, so DC or not DC?
1: It is a DC character. Wow. That is the superhero that Tadwalla de Fruit Juice turns into. Uh. <laughs> I'm surprised uh. you didn't notice, given I was very <laughs> reticent to say the name of the hero.
0: <laughs> I yeah. thought he had enough of an elaborate name that that's what he stayed
1: as. You know?
3: <laughs> I, I, just, I just vote for a new name. Like.
0: <laughs> so
1: literally, literally, I kid you not, when he goes through this, this process of like going through a tornado, he turns into a super hipster oh Um, Oh my god here's here's a bit of a description including my favorite factoid about this character he can fly he can shapeshift and he has a guitar that stuns people his only weakness is the music of lawrence Welk. (laughs) 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 i'm just like that's that's so oddly specific It so sounded
3: a bit Scott Pilgrim, but like the lesser version of it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I kind of wanted it to be like a geriatric superhero. Like he has like a, a, a metal hip or something, like super
1: hip. Or oh, like ge- yeah. oh, zimmer <laughs> frame. They're just like,
3: yeah. Super yeah. There's yeah.
1: Like, <laughs> it, just no logic. No yeah. logic whatsoever. Okay. So at that point, David, what are the schools?
0: Uh, it is Paul with two and Kalechi with one.
1: It's still everything to play for. We've got a number, number of entries left. So, number six. Bronze Tiger. DC or not DC? Five, four, three, two, one. You are both going for DC. And you are both... Correct! He is somebody who eventually does become one of the ensemble of the Suicide Squad. Uh... um I think probably, if anything, I think he has an appearance in the second animated Suicide Squad film. That
0: that sounds like one that James Gunn would kill off. (laughs) (laughs) But then I suppose nobody's safe in it. Yeah, he's he's basically
1: (laughs) a savage fighter who does fight in a tiger mask. (laughs) Okay, number seven, the heckler. So is the heckler DC or not DC? Five, four, three, two, one. You've both gone for DC. And yet again, you are both correct. The heckler is indeed a superhero who fights crime with his ability to irritate people with sharp wit. (laughs) So I mean a knockoff joker then. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was thinking. What I was hoping for was that you'd go, oh, they've got the Riddler, there's no way they'd have the Heckler as well.
2: <laughs> well, I- I'm thinking less of DC as the longer this quiz goes on. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, Marvel is not that much better when it comes to this weirdness. <laughs> What's uh, the hero in South Park?
0: Uh the one who's like... Captain quite, Hindsight. That's it, yeah. It sounds like that sort of power as well.
1: Well, you're going to love number... I'm joking, it's not <laughs> number eight. The entry for number eight actually is... Mother Russia. DC or not DC? Oh. I've
3: heard of this one. Five,
1: four, oh, three, two, one. Yet again, we've gone diverging. So kolechi has gone DC. Paul has gone not DC. So dc or not dc not a dc character paul do you know where they're from
2: i i feared the the character name but i i, I can't think it, I, I thought it might have been marvel but
1: so you're technically right david who is mother russia um you should know this well i no, i thought it was kick-ass yes yeah, that's not yeah. Marvel. Ah. Yeah. No, no, but like the, the comics were like sub produce Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. like
0: image, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah, so it's image comics, but like if you look for like an absolute head up distributor, or whatever, it's Marvel. Right. So ah. regardless, still not DC. So you're not gonna get me on that technicality. But yeah, so Mother Russia is a villain in Kick Ass. Uh in the actual uh in the actual film in which she appears in Kick Ass 2, her theme is basically the same theme as the Tetris theme. It's so weird. Okay, are we ready for number nine? Yep. Yeah. Leslie Thompson. So DC or not DC? Five, four, three, two, one. You've both gone for DC. Do you recognize the character?
3: I think she's one of the... She's in Gotham. One of the characters in Gotham. Isn't it? Okay.
1: Okay. I just guessed. Okay, and Paul just guessed. So, DC or not DC? I'm sorry. Oh, you're kidding. The character that you're thinking of is, Le- is Leslie Tompkins. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. oh please. Absolute
3: please. evil. <laughs>
1: Craig is the heckler.
3: <laughs> you are, you are a joker. You really are a joker.
0: Thank
1: you. I mean, I've dressed up as him before. Like uh, <laughs> this is the two boats. It's like Le- oh, Le- Leslie Tompkins and Leslie Tompkins. <laughs> yep. Number ten. Sally Metcalf. DC or not? Don't. Sh- <laughs>
2: what?
1: DC or not DC? Five, four. Three, two, one.
3: I don't
1: know. Okay, so we've gone for diverging. So uh, Paul has gone DC, Kalechi's gone not DC. I'm surprised that David's laughter was not a giveaway, but the character is not DC. It could have been a, a, a def- <laughs> an affection for the character. David, would you like to tell them who Sally Metcalf is? Character incarnation street. <laughs> <laughs> like a gail platt level kind of bob
0: here you know proper old woman
1: i thought i didn't tell david any of these questions beforehand so he has <laughs> no idea what's going on but like my god if there's any opportunity for just that to- <laughs> just give away okay so at this point david with three questions to go so that one it was uh paul when not uh uh,
0: went DC. Went DC. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that it's uh, four to Kletchi and five to Paul. So catching up. It's it's tight again. And like
1: I said, with three, it's anyone's game. Are we ready for number eleven? Yeah. Nobody. DC or not DC? Nobody. Five, four, three, two, one. You have both gone for not DC. So, DC or not DC? It is a DC character. It is the son of one of Bruce Wayne's trainers, so Henry Descartes. Basically uh, involved in the plot to basically try and corrupt his son in the comics, uh, Damian Wayne, uh, to basically just treat criminals worse. Yeah, he's one of those kind of characters. Okay, number 12. And I'm gonna give you the spelling of this one because I think it's actually quite important. Xana, it's spelled X dot A dot N dot A dot. So it's an acronym, but spells XANA. So five, four, three, two, one. Yet again we've gone diverging. So Kalecchi's gone DC, Paula's gone, not DC. So uh, just checking. Do I of you have an inkling of who this character is? Hell no. Oh. Not a clue. Fair. Not a clue. Is it Zanna Do? <laughs> <laughs> so DC or not DC? Not a DC character. It is the villain uh, virus program in the French animated children's show Code Lyoko.
2: If If you say so, Craig. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm the
1: only person in the world who ever watched this show. <laughs> I can give you a basic idea of what happens in this show. I don't fully understand what happens in this show. It never got finished because the, uh, the production company went bankrupt. So I'll never know how the show finished it. But I loved that show as a kid. Okay, so we have the final question. So for the final question of this endgame, we have the character Killamoth. DC or not DC? Five, four, three, two, one. You have both gone DC and you are both... Correct. Killamoff is indeed a DC character. Uh, People described him as the anti-Batman insofar as he would turn up to situations where criminals needed help escaping and would basically help them escape uh, he is, I think his most famous role is being killed by the Red Hood.
2: I want to see that as a film. I want to see.
0: <laughs> I'm also so that, pretty sure with Lego bap go back into Lego Batman, I think where all the obscure villains appear, like, running around I'm pretty sure he's one of them as well. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. So the question
1: is, does he get his own actual <laughs> release Lego figure?
0: Yeah, pretty. <laughs> I think he was in the, like, random minifigs one, which is why I saw saw him before, but yeah. the because I was also thinking, am I just getting kind of mixed up with Firefly? But then I was like, no, I'm pretty sure this is
1: this is the thing. Okay, and that's the end of DC or not DC. So David, I'll hand over to you for the final scores.
0: Uh, so yeah, it was a tough race there, but it was Paul who came out as the winner there with seven points. Golache uh, oh. ended
1: with five.
2: Good, good, uh, good game, Fletchy. No, good,
3: game. good game
0: paul it was an
1: incredibly hard game so i think getting i think getting a r- basically around sort of the middle score i think is like i, I think is commendable for essentially me being a dickhead yeah. so I, I applaud both of you as craig said <laughs> cruelty cruelty yeah so but obviously with that it means that paul has now won the opportunity to choose the film that's discussed in our next episode so paul what are you going to go with are you going to go with David's suggestion, my suggestion, or do you have a suggestion of your own that you would like to give us?
2: I have a suggestion of my own. Um, it's a film I've never heard anyone else talk about before, so I'm really uh, and it's quite something. Um, it's it's called a town called Panic. Okay. It's a French animated film, um, and the link to Batman is Chaos. Oh. To <laughs> um, so the Joker. It, it it um, it's it's stop motion. Um. And it essentially, you know those figures you used to get as children. I don't. I'm a, probably ten years older than you. so You may not, but um, you get like little um, you get like a little um, army man, a little Indian, yeah. a little cowboy, a little mm-hmm. horse. It's that, and it's in French. But there's no language. Um, it is it is utter chaos. It's hilarious. Um, and I I I really uh, look forward to hearing what people make of it.
0: When you say there's no language I mean what like no dialogue you mean <laughs> or you just kind of have to like assume what they're <laughs> talking
2: about. I think I think there's subtitles and it might actually be in French but they talk so quickly it just sounds like gibberish.
0: Interesting yeah I know what you mean now it's kind of like yeah um I don't know how to explain it yeah it's like the the toys you see on like I don't know. Is this something like Cravendale or something like that? Do they yes. have those kind of yeah, like, you know, like
2: it? I think it might be the same people who made
0: the Cravendale adverts Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, so okay. it's like yeah, like farm farm animal toys that you
1: get. Okay, <laughs> very interesting and a good obscure one that will have well it's definitely gotten us off theme because i thought the last couple of episodes we were stuck in a certain theme we're out of that now so i'm happy about that <laughs> okay yeah
0: awesome so next time we'll be t- uh, talking about a tang called panic uh, which is out in 2009 and uh yeah available to rent uh, if uh, you want to watch along with us at home uh, as paul has suggested it's definitely uh, worth a watch and uh we've definitely never seen it before so if you want to join in with the conversation and uh, hear our thoughts and uh, bring your thoughts to the table next time then uh go check it out uh wherever you can rental if it's out on blu-ray or something i don't know <laughs> so uh yeah awesome paul can't wait to talk about it and very intrigued very intrigued uh out of interest Kalachi, what was your choice just so we can
3: um, mine was Related to Because I looked through the cast list And not many of the um, cast for The Dark Knight Have actually done animation With the exception of Christian Bell. And whilst it's Not Disney, just just to clarify um, But while he's Not the original a- um, act, Voice actor on the film But he did do the English language Version of the film And so my pick was Howl's Moving Castle uh,
0: Awesome um, Yeah, that is a favorite of mine. So, yeah, if we have a random, like, you know, like pick a film from a hat, we'll we'll chuck that in there maybe for a future random choice one. Um, But, yes, uh, thank you both for joining us on this episode. It's been um, an absolute pleasure uh, talking about The Dark Knight, and we can't wait to uh, discuss Town Call Panic next time. Uh, Thank you for both joining us. So, uh, Klechi, where can we catch you? Uh, You said earlier about, obviously, your website, the places you write for, uh, your socials, what are you up to?
3: So, yeah, whilst I'm not hanging in my head in shame of a DC, not DC, um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and going back to retouch up on my DC knowledge. Um, so, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at KE Henylo or on Instagram at Special K Brights.
0: Awesome and uh, Paul can we catch yourself what have you been up to lately and uh, yeah anything exciting coming on the horizon
2: I'm working on two feature films at the moment but you know with the industry as it is you never know but I'm working on a a biopic about a a British jockey um, for one company and I'm working on a a horror film um, with an upcoming director but you know if they get made you might see them in two years who knows (laughs) Um, and you can Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Saul Huntman where you can continue to enjoy the ceilings that either I am sitting under or that people send me as guest ceilings.
0: <laughs> the other day I was on a train and I was like, trains have quite interesting ceilings. Should I send Paul this? And the, but it was like, you know, when they have like a shelf below it, like for your luggage, I was like, does this count?
2: I was like, would, that, that, that would count it for future reference. Oh, okay,
0: cool. Guest ceiling coming soon from Dave. Train ceiling. <laughs> uh awesome well yeah thank you for uh, both joining us anything lastly for yourself craig
1: i think i just want to reassure uh everyone in in, uh on this podcast as well as everyone at home uh i don't wear hockey pads (laughs) 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 so
0: uh Okay, thanks for the clarification. And yeah, uh, we look forward to uh, everyone joining us next time. Thank you again, Clatchy and Paul, for joining us. We hope you can join us uh, in the future for another episode. And uh, yeah, we'll catch you all soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
2: Thank you. Bye.
0: Bye. To keep up with the latest episodes of Well Good Movies, you can listen to us on all your usual podcast outlets, including Apple, Google, Spotify, YouTube, and more. Don't forget to follow us, subscribe, and rate us where you can to keep our podcast growing. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at WellgoodMovies to keep up with the latest news and highlights from all our episodes, as well as tell us what movies you want to be discussed in the future. And if all of that isn't enough, you can also find us at our website freshtakehub.com/slash wellgoodmovies, where you can catch all our episodes along with videos and articles deep diving into the worlds of film and television. So what are you waiting for? Go check out the film we'll be discussing
3: in next time's episode.